curious fans welcome to another edition of third degree the podcast hi i'm peter and i am joined today as usual with my two good buddies first up the easygoing and laid back brit that we all know and love dan crook with an e hello dan hello peter with two e's there are two e's in peter yes absolutely and then of course your hero and mine Founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. There are no E's in Buzz Carrick, but there is an E in Patreon.com slash ThirdDegree. Give us support. <laughs> that's, two, that's three E's in that. Well, there's more than one. One plus. All right. Very good. There's uh, also an E in subscribe, so do that. Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you uh, for pointing out all the E's and all of that. Uh, All right. So small talk pleasantries are all done. Check that box off. Let's get to the meet. Nashville 3, Dallas 0. And I'm going to start off by telling both of you, I was surprised. No, actually, the better word is confused. I was confused by the seemingly uh, uh, new levels of pitchforks and torches reaction there was to this game in particular and i can't figure out if it's because the run that dallas has been on of late which is one three and two in their last six or it was because they got blanked by nashville well i'm gonna go blank by nashville um when you when you when a team is perceived and i and i did little air quotes there perceived to be not as good you know, they are, quote, expansion team. They're, quote, a defensive team. You know, people react negatively when that team whoops you. Um, now, before you get too deep into the game, you have to take the grain of salt that you're missing Hedges and Barrios, two of your best three or four players on your team, maybe your two best players on your team. So very important. But nonetheless, when you get blown out of the building by a perceived bad team, that's when you're going to get the hammer okay, from fans. But- all right, but here's here's the thing. Where did the perception that Dallas was either that good or Nashville that bad? They're tied on points, and Dallas has struggled against Nashville in the two prior times they've seen them this year. In fact, they don't even have a win against them at this point. And the other question I have is, why is everybody surprised at this point that FC Dallas is a mediocre, meh, may or may not make the playoff kind of team? I'm kind of of the opinion that this has been kind of obvious to us now for months if not going back to uh the last year that this is a team that's still trying to figure stuff out and putting pieces together and these kind of games especially a road game a midweek road game those things are going to happen i'm i'm just really confused as to why suddenly now the lucci out and everybody's upset and freaking out happened after this particular game yeah i mean this team is exactly where you said they would be i thought they would be a little better and you know, when you came out of the MLS's back tournament and, you, and Dallas made up some games, they were in that third or fourth sort of window, which is where I thought they would be. I think I said fourth originally, you know, but then some things have gone sort of south. I think it's, I think it's the roller coaster nature of their results. Like when they've gotten some good results against sporting, for example, you know, and played, there's that crazy stat we had this week where 
they've played really well against good teams. And then you go against these bad teams and you do really poorly against perceived bad teams. Uh, and let's be fair, you know, up until a week ago, these teams weren't on the same level of points. Dallas was better. They were like fourth place and, and Nashville was in ninth place. So, you know, it's not surprising that people are reacting negatively to this one. Dan, uh, you brought up a really good point that in the postgame conference, Lucci's reaction to the game seemed to be very different from the media and the fan base. Yeah, I was kind of interesting. Uh, our, our very own Nico Mendes had asked about, you know, uh, what the issue was dealing with Nashville's high press and why Dallas wasn't able to break their lines down. And uh, normally, Lucci has a pretty lengthy solid answer about everything but he just said i disagree uh that he thought maybe nashville outplayed dallas for 10 minutes but for 80 minutes dallas were kind of in control and when i asked him something later on he almost dismissed the three goals because two of them came off of deflections uh, now yeah if you wanted to take the quality of the goals and this is one of the rare times that you can look at XG and it actually means something. The two teams were both under one. but Or maybe Nashville was 1.2, actually. But it was very close. It, you know, There were very low percentage chances. But the fact of the matter is, Dallas got their asses kicked by, by Nashville all over the pitch. It was, it was, it was a whipping. Um, yeah. Really, everywhere but in front of goal. And... You know, uh, Brisson came up to media after that and he said, you know, this is kind of tough. The other two games I thought we should have had something out of, but this time we just we got beat plain and simple. Uh, I was listening to somebody describe a game and you tell me, were they talking about the Dallas Cowboys or FC Dallas? And these were the quotes of their description of their performance. One, seem unmotivated. Two, not as good as maybe people thought they were, and three, and this is the real one, what a chore to watch. Who are they talking about? The Cowboys or <laughs> FC Dallas? Uh both. I don't yeah, I don't yeah. <laughs> why can't it be both? Yeah, why can't it be both? <laughs> we'll uh, go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Similar similar veins. Uh, you know, Oscar used to always say that when you want to analyze games you know, whether it be individual or the collective, that in a lot of ways, because of the nature of soccer, because it's so difficult to score, that a lot of times you have to throw out goals when you're analyzing. You have to analyze the play of the whole 90 minutes, not just the goals. You can't let that be the only thing that determines whether you think a team plays well or not. And clearly, from Lucius' responses, he thinks that they played pretty well for the 80 minutes. I don't. I'm not going to give him 80. I would have said the last five of the first half and then the first 20 up until they allowed that counterattack that maybe 25, 30 minutes was good. But then other than that, I thought it was all junk. So, you know, it's not uh, sometimes, you know, Lucci's going to be positive and defend his team. He's not going to come out and say they suck like Oscar would that there's a, that's a difference between those guys or like Shellis would <laughs> Shellis <Yeah>. really would, <laughs> you know, Lucci's a, a huggy feely protect my boys kind of coach. So it's not surprising. He thinks it's really good. 
uh, there seems to be a growing narrative along the fan base that people are now really much asking questions about Lucci's qualifications and is he the right guy to be doing this job and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought one of the things that happened to this, and we'll st- before we get into the meat of the game itself, this was really the, the one moment that I think everybody was talking about, which was the conflict between Lucci and Frank O'Hara when uh, he subbed Hara off, what, in the 64th minute of the game. Um, I got to tell you, I saw that and I immediately thought I was really surprised because based on how I saw it, and unless there's a part of the video that we're not seeing and obviously we're not hearing the audio because maybe uh, Hara said something to Lucci that was offensive or something, my perception of what happened there was that Lucci initiated that confrontation and kind of escalated it, and I thought that was really surprising and maybe a reflection of a head coach with not a ton of pro experience. Well, we on this podcast have said from the beginning that that was going to be one of the biggest troubles with Lucci is the fact that he had no adults and no pro experience. And listen, no one will ever convince me that the Hunts didn't do him a disservice by hiring him too soon. He should have been the next coach a couple of years down the line. They should have hired, gone outside the organization if they had to, or gone with Feruzzi. You know, there were options on the table. But um, I read that moment as Lucci as we always talk about him, he does like to, as I call it, hug it out. He's emotional. He wanted to shake Hara's hand and Hara is pissed and passes up that opportunity, which Lucci then perceives that as a disrespect or a slight and says that you can't do that to me and grabs him, you know, and deals with it on the spot. Now on the conference call today, Lucci said that within an hour of that incident that they had already talked it out and solved it. And it's all in the past. And he did say some of the stuff he can't, mentioned because it's behind a closed door kind of issue. So he did say that there were, there were moments involved with him talking to the team and Hara talking to the team. And it's pretty clear that they've moved on past it, but it definitely was a moment created by Lucci's inexperience. He should recognize that his, that not all players are the same and that Hara is pissed and that I should give him space and not let it escalate, not let it become a problem because Hara is right to be pissed He's right to be mad because regardless of the fact that he hasn't scored in a couple of games, he is the million-dollar player on this team. It's one thing to take him out when you're up 3 nothing and you want to protect him and give him some cushion. It's another thing entirely when you're yanking a guy with his scoring pedigree from a game they're trying to come back in favor of a 17-year-old with very little scoring record at all. So he's totally in the right to be mad. Pepe should have come in for Jesus, if anything. You know, so... It's, there's both guys in the right and both guys in the wrong here. And they claim to have, or Lucci claims to be past it. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, Lucci could have circumvented the whole thing if he would just would have stepped away from Hara. Yeah, Dan, I'm really interested in your perception because as a fan of uh, English non-league and lower league uh, uh, teams that are gen- that many of which have very young coaches kind of learning the game themselves, I'm interested in, in hearing your perception on what happened that night between the two. It was a little bit strange. Um, you know, I think... Uh, I, I always think... It, I always find it kind of weird when uh, when a player shakes the coach's hand on the way off. You know, normally it's like a little pat on the back or just, you know, concentrate on the game and then say, you know, well done later on. It was, uh, it, it was an unnecessary situation. Yeah, Lucci did, on the conference call, he did also talk about... 
this kind of thing does happen from time to time. There have been even high-profile coaches he admires have had moments where the, a player doesn't react the way the coach wants coming off. It is a thing. It's certainly happened before. Peter, I know you had one that you had asked me about that I had totally forgotten from FC Dallas history. So, yeah, yeah well, it's not unheard I, the, of. The, the thing that immediately flashed to my mind was what I thought until Buzz told me he had never he couldn't recall it. I thought this was a super famous moment, and I'm surprised it didn't make. Uh, I don't even know if it qualifies for the uh, same as it ever was list. But in 2012 in San Jose, uh, Shellis Heinemann's the coach. Breck Shea is the up and coming superstar. Uh, it's already pretty well known that Breck and Shellis don't get along with each other. Uh, and I think most people probably tended to sided with Shellis on many of the issues because Breck was, could be such a snot many of the times. But he subs Breck out, and if I remember correctly, what I can't remember is if there was video of this incident or not. I couldn't find it anywhere, and unfortunately, uh, those uh, f- fans of the pod that have recorded historically games didn't have that season in their library. Um, I couldn't remember this on video or not, but I can't remember how um, not, it wasn't like they almost came to blows, but I remember the story going, it was like Breck throwing out F bombs and telling him to F off and throwing fingers in his face. And it was really ugly. And that was by and large, the beginning of the end between Breck and Shellis, and then shortly thereafter, Breck demanded to be sold, and that's when he did that stupid deal to Stoke. And then it really wasn't even that much longer before that was really the end of Shellis and FC Dallas. And that's what it all reminded me about. And uh, I was shocked that Buzz didn't remember didn't remember that story. Yeah, I, I did. I honestly don't remember it. I mean, you you say it, and I'm like, okay, it's ringing a bell, but it didn't. It doesn't stick out in my brain. I mean, sometimes things escape all of us. Certainly. F you into a coach's face is different than I feel like different oh, than what I we remember, saw last night. I remember it being super nasty. And the other note from that game is kind of interesting was that Breck was typically the penalty taker. The game was two one Dallas got a penalty late in the game. And I think Marvin Chavez stepped up to take it and he blew it over the top and they <laughs> lost two one. Um, yeah. I think that's how that story goes. So well, uh, to circle, other- to circle back to the current situation, you know, we had predicted on this podcast, all of us did, that Frank O'Hara was going to be a guy that might cause the locker room some serious issue. You know, when you're coming in late, when you're getting paid a whole lot of money, you know, and your perception is not all buying in, a guy who's damn near as old as Lucci, tough mm-hmm. to manage for a young coach when he's a veteran player who thinks he knows everything. You know, we predicted it was going to be rough. This is going to be a very difficult couple of weeks here for Lucci if things go south this weekend. You know, he's in danger of losing the locker room if he doesn't do do right by some players here. Well, I, I think part of what I thought was very interesting about the exchange, again, it goes back to what I said initially, which was I was surprised Lucci initiated it. That is a reflection to me of insecurity. Somebody that I think feels like he needs to stand up for himself to the veteran million-dollar striker because if he doesn't do it, nobody else is going to, even if it's the wrong play. And And that's probably just a... Uh, a gut reaction in the moment reaction that maybe he regrets um, because by grabbing, I mean, he grabs Hara by the arm, yeah. he kind of grabs his shirt. He sticks his finger in Hara's face and, and Hara's like, what are you doing? And, uh, and I just, that aspect to me really shines a light on Lucci's situation again, right or wrong and hiring him in the first place and all of that stuff. It, it, I just thought that was really telling in the moment. Well, I think there's no question he's feeling pressure. Uh, some of it too is uh, might have been 
boiled up a little bit because uh, I hear that Tiago Santos was quite steamed that he was left out of the lineup for a second game, you know, thinking the first one was for rest and all of a sudden he's not back in there. So when you, two of your bigger leader veteran players are now mad, that's that's going the wrong direction in terms of controlling the locker room. And Lucci probably is, he's a big one for respect across the board. You know, both for him to players and players back to him. And if he feels like he's getting disrespected, he's not going to not say something. The mistake is the win he chose to say something. All right. So, Dan, uh, for any fan that is uh, starting to fall off the fence or is already on the side of the Lucci isn't the right guy for the job side of the fence, what is your reaction to that point of view? To uh, the overall point of view of yeah, just the general the general the general point of view that maybe Lucci's the not right. Either they've always felt that way, or now they're starting to fall on the side of the fence of Lucci's not the guy for this job. Uh, well, discredit anyone whose opinion is based off of Lucci chased Cobra out of town for one, which is most of them. Uh, but. He's a he's a second year head coach. We're in a season where everything's going to have an asterisk over it. The hunts aren't going to get rid of him. I mean, you know, give him some time. Let let's see what happens. This uh, this wasn't a finished project. It was a project that got a pretty sig- a couple of significant dings in it with uh, Cobra wanting to go home and and Reggie leaving. So, I mean. You know, if if you if you don't resort to, oh, we need to fire the coach now, then it just seems kind of pointless. Okay, so let me back that up with another question. How do you feel about Lucci's coaching decisions in this game, specifically the decision to swap out, to sub out Hara instead of Jesus? Um, he, he's every coach has favorites, and Jesus is very clearly Lucci's. Um, when when Hara had the reaction going off, I think I tweeted out a joke. Well, at least now we know where Jesus is going to play next week because <laughs> he's played in all but three games this season. FC Dallas won all three of those games. He gets shoehorned in at weird places where he doesn't belong. Case in point, he was one of the worst players on the field on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday. And... So the whole playing favorites thing works a little bit easier when you're in like the academy or somewhere that you can have players follow you. Um, when it comes to a professional club, it's it's obviously going to be a temptation because you're bringing so many of your uh, your players up from the academy. But sometimes you've just got to sort of cut them loose a little bit and say, okay, he's just not making a grade right now. That is. So yeah, uh, I can definitely see frustration with that. But again, it's got to be, he's he's a second year head coach. He's got to grow out of those mistakes as much as young players have to grow out of theirs. Yeah, every time you listen to Lucci talk in a press conference, he talks about learning something, you know, <laughs> which comes back to the idea of it was too early. But in his defense, he was hired to be a pathway to the pros, play your kids coach. And now all of a sudden they've fi- hired a bunch of 30-year-old million-dollar veterans, you know? So it's like, it's not quite what he, Lucci signed up for either, probably. Yeah. Uh, the, the part of the reason why I asked the question is, I didn't see the whole game. In fact, I, because it was an odd Tuesday night game, I had forgotten the game was on, got home from my other event, and turned it on and, and started watching it uh, literally at the beginning of the second half. 
And I'm interested in y'all's opinion. That's my very Texan way of saying that. Y'all's opinion on uh, was Haro the right guy to take out of the game at that point? No, no, absolutely not. No. Jesus well, should have come I, off. I, I saw a lot of people's opinion that Haro was having a terrible game. And based on the 45 minutes I saw, were actually the, uh, what is that, 23 minutes or 24 minutes, uh, whatever that is, the amount of time I saw her on the field, uh, I wasn't particularly. I, I was surprised he was the one taken off. Uh, but I'm wondering, based on the uh, the entirety of his 64 minutes, was he the right guy to take off? No, because Dallas was having trouble breaking down a low block and or, and get or at the times where it was a mid block, Hart was doing some good things in build out, and once again, he's just not getting enough of the ball. You know, so it's not. He's he's back checking and he's posting up and he's one of the few people allowing Dallas to play forward on the ground. So I don't think it's and more importantly than anything else, he's your he's the man on your team. He's the guy up front. He's the goal scorer. He's your leading goal scorer. He's got a proven track record of scoring goals for 15 years. Oh, that may be an exaggeration. You know, what I mean, it's like you don't you don't take that guy out. At the 60-minute mark, that's ridiculous. Not for a 17-year-old. That's just stupid. I, I think it's I think it's one of the worst sub-decisions Lucci's ever made. Because okay. after that, after that, with the other subs he made, he ended up with uh, Brandon Cervania playing as a six and, and, and Jesus Ferrer playing as an eight with 15-year-old Dante Celia on the wing. It's like, what are you doing? That, yeah, okay. It's just awful. All right, so Dan, I assume you agreed with Buzz on that uh analysis yeah I, I definitely thought it was going to be peppy for for jesus and then i kind of i was trying to rationalize it well maybe maybe it's just a case of trying to inject a little more pace up front but peppy's not really that fast so then you know the, the problem with hara is i know he's he's obviously catching a lot of rap from fans because a he's not cobra and B, he's missed, he's fluffed a few cha- a few very good chances. We didn't get that opportunity on Tuesday. He had one shot from outside the area, or at the edge of the area. Uh, they, they got the ball into the box six times. It, yeah. You know, you're not setting them up for success. It's like those first few games. And just for the fact that he's, you know... He's doing what Maxi was doing, what he used to do. He's checking so far back to try and even get involved in play that if they do eventually get the ball up there, he's not there yet. It's, you know, the problem was getting the ball into the final third. Because when you look at the passing chart, there's a lot of clear grass there in that final third. So, Buzz, do you have an opinion or a thought as to why Lucci made the decision he made? Uh, oof. Well, my 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 guess is that uh, he really Come on, thinks. Let's be honest with yeah, the good pod I, listener. I don't. I don't. I don't actually know. Um, I you know sometimes when I when I try and analyze coaching decisions, I try and put myself in their shoes and I try and figure out what he's thinking. And the only thing I can come up with is that Lucci's convinced that Hara's not ninety minutes fit and that he can't put in the the work rate he puts in for the whole time because he seems to sub him out at that, you know, somewhere between 60 to 80 minutes all the time. Now, some of that may just be he thinks it's a workload problem because Hara has to start pretty much every game because they don't have anybody else. So uh, it's probably a combination of those things. And, you know, at, at that point, um, Nashville's not playing a super low block. It's kind of in between. And Lucci probably thinks his best hope is to get somebody 
on behind, right in behind with a quick step. And Pepe is better at that than Hara. That's my assumption. But to me, Jesus Ferreira was doing absolutely nothing regard to helping the team win. So that's the player that needed to come off. And Pepe's the best attacker you had available at that point. So it's like he should have come in for Jesus, not for Hara. You know, if you don't like Pepe on the wing, then you make some sort of shift so you have two strikers or something. But the problem isn't your nine. The problem is getting the ball to the nine. Jesus and everybody else, Fafa, whatever, Ricarte having to come so deep. None of those guys are getting the ball to the strikers. I'd really love at some point, the next time Lucci's available uh, for media, for somebody to ask him about his... Uh, allegiances with Jesus because if it's 60 minutes he thinks that Hara is not working hard enough it makes me wonder what he sees in Jesus who I don't think works any harder or less hard or anything than than and then Hara does uh, no matter what position he's playing whether he's playing in the middle or out on a wing I, I have never I have never come away from Jesus's game uh, d- as describing him as one of those just like 110 percent effort guys that's constantly running around the field he's not like Fafa, right? Like Fafa's yeah. constantly all over the field. Jesus is not like that. So I'd really be interested sometime in hearing Lucci talk about that. Last question about all of this. Well, I can tell you what the answer is, Peter, because I've asked okay. him three times. Oh, I mean, I haven't asked him in the last four months, right. but on the three previous occasions I've asked him, he says a lot of soccer talk about Jesus doing these little things that help the team play better. Things like line breaking and turning into space, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of soccerisms of Lucci ball. So he never really is going to give you a concrete hundred percent definitive answer, but, but there it's always along those lines. And the bottom line is Jesus is his guy. That's the answer. All right. Well, I want you to be Leslie Stahl next time. And I want you to press him <laughs> and say, but all of that soccer talking uh, jingo that you've just talked about, did that actually result? Goals and wins. That's what I want to hear him explain to me about his fascination with Jesus. All right, the last question about this, and we'll move on to uh, something else that I think will excite the fan, uh, is do you think he starts Hara this weekend? I do now. Because just to throw, just to circle back uh, on the Shellis Breck deal, Breck got benched after that confrontation. Yeah. Uh, So do you think he benches Hara this weekend? In the immediate aftermath of the game, I would have said yes. But after listening to Lucci today, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I would have said no, he benches. No, Hara does not start. He benches him. Now, after listening to Lucci's talk today, I think that Hara will play. I think that they're past it based on what Lucci said today. Now, he's a... He's a huddle up the locker room, defend the locker room. We're all one team. I love my guys. I trust my guys kind of coach. So I, I think that he is sincere when he says that they're past it. So I think Hara will start. You think there's any part of that that he feels like maybe he recognizes that he was the instigator of it and feels bad about that? Or do you think um, Lucci thinks that it was Hara's fault? I think he thinks it's a moment of heat that happens in the game because he answered the question both in Spanish and English. It was multiple questions about it. And basically the, his thing was this happens in soccer. You know, we have to have an open communication in the locker room between all of us. We've talked about it as a collective. We've talked about it as individuals and we're good. That was his take. So um, I, I, I don't, I've never found Lucci to outright lie to me yet. You know, he doesn't always give me uh, give media a hundred percent, clear and obvious answers it's a lot of this kind of language of that we've been hearing over and over with you know that he talks a lot of the same stuff all the time 
So I, I don't, I take him at his word when he says they're past it. So I think he'll start Hara. Now Hara may not be past him. Hara may still be pissed. And when he subs Hara out of the 70th minute, you'll see how he reacts this weekend. <laughs> and then we'll know. Yeah. It was interesting because um, uh, Carlos Nava from ESPN posted a tweet with the video of the confrontation. And I said we were going to stop talking about it, but I did want to throw this out there. He actually uh, blames Lucci very strongly for this. And he even points out that he kind of throws Hara under the bus that he says the whole reason why the, the only reason why this happened is because Hara is frustrated that he's not scoring goals, which is not necessarily a really fair read on this uh, based on what we know took place. I mean, I'm sure he is frustrated by that, but he's also, he's more frustrated that Lucci keeps subbing him out. I mean, you can, the game before when Lucci subbed him out, he had this throw the hands in the air gesture. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody of me saw it, but clearly the guy's pissed off. He keeps getting subbed out rightfully again, rightfully pissed off. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be happening this frequently when you're chasing a game. You sub that guy out when you're winning, not when you're losing. All right. Well, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, yeah, it ain't over. We'll see. And I'm interested to know if any of the people listening to the pod remember the Shellis Breck incident in San Jose as clearly as I do, but um, maybe I'm the one that's making it up. All right, I wanted to move on to another subject, uh, and believe it or not, because uh, I am trying to become a modern-day soccer pundit, right? I don't want to be just the old guy that goes off the eyeball test. I want to uh, discover and find out the glory of statistical analysis and and the value of that. And because I know all the kids are really into all of the XGs and the passing stats and all of that. So I, you know, I've been dipping my my toe in that water. And I want to apply that to something that I learned uh, and have been reading about in the differences between Brian Acosta and Andreas Ricarte. Now, uh, based on the good old-fashioned eyeball test, I think I'm going to fairly describe our collective opinion as, is Ricarte good, Brian Acosta not so good? Are we in agreement on this? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Dan? Yeah, why not? So, going in and looking at the stats based on the restart and the game performances between the two, I was shocked to find out that when you look at the numbers, Acosta and Ricarte, by any given measure, pretty much are essentially the same player. Could you believe that? Now, um, Acosta's played essentially one game more than Ricarte since the restart based on minutes used. But if you look at all of the passing numbers in terms of uh, uh, Acosta outperforms Ricarte pretty regularly on percentage of completed passes, passes in the final third, he generally tends to outpace Ricarte on, and uh, they tend to trade back and forth on passes into the penalty area. All very important passing metrics in terms of deciding who's actually um, you know, performing or adding uh, uh, positively to the team. Now, Ricarte does tend to outpace, but not by a large number, the number of key passes in all of these games. And I was, all I'm trying to point out here is that based on the eyeball test, I would tend to agree with you guys that Brian Acosta has been a, a bit of a, uh, a meh thing for us. Uh, and I was a little bit surprised at how equally meh Ricarte has proven to be, at least based on the stats. Well, this is where stats let me down um, because I always say I don't I don't know who decided that that was a, that you could score from that spot or something like that. Um, and and the, one of the the two big differences for me are is Ricarte is playing higher up the field, so his passing percentage is of course going to be lower. You know, Acosta's playing deeper, 
where half of his passes are side to side, simple, easy, basic passes. And the second thing is none of those things take into account the moments when um, Ricarte makes these setup plays where he sets up and gets drawn fouls, when he feels pressure and turns away, when he maintains possession and helps build forward. I'd be interested to see what their impact was in, in terms of the, the new stuff that they do, which is like the goals added kind of stat. I don't know if you looked well, at that well, one. Well, so I'm just I'm not even talking about the the, the wizardry of XG and goals that 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 all to me still has a, a subjective layer to it. I'm talking about just simple passing statistics based right. on the number of passes, percentages, and placement, and where the passes work out. And I want to address the thing that you brought up about where players are playing because my impression of late has been specifically in the Nashville and, and Sporting KC match, and maybe even the Houston game. Uh, Acosta's been playing a little bit higher than Ricarte. Am I wrong in, in stating that? Well, if you look at his average position, he's not. Really? Because yeah. I thought they were saying they were trying to play him higher. No, he makes runs higher, and Ricarte makes runs back. But if you look at their average position, it's not. Yeah, um, okay. And the other, basically, if you look at any team's passing chart over the course of the season, from back to front, the fullbacks pass at the highest rate. It's usually Dallas Dallas is around 90%. And the further up the field you go, the worse it gets. Like you're talking about a playmaking 10 or a striker. If you're near 70%, that's fantastic. You know, it's just because the pressure ramps up and the difficulty ramps up. So it's not surprising if you're talking about basic passing statistics. It's not surprising to me that Acosta has as good or better than Ricarte. Completely different kind of player. Yeah, uh, Acosta just in the in the Nashville game as as an example in the final third, Acosta had one more pass in the final third than than Ricarte did, and of all the progressive passes, he had twice as many progressive passes as Ricarte. Uh, again, this is where I think some of the I think you have to be able to uh, uh, do a hybrid of both what the eyeball test and yeah. the statistical stuff. I think trying to just lean on one or the other is doing nobody any service. I think the point I'm trying to make is is that I don't think we can singularly blame Brian Acosta for all of these teams' failings, as maybe uh, maybe I at least have been a little guilty of over the last few months. Yeah, that's probably fair, but there's a couple of things he's not doing that. You know, again, this is eyeball stuff. It's like in this last game, you know, when Tanner was more of a single six against Nashville and Tanner's making the run out to the sideline as a six is supposed to do to cover up the outside backs as he's supposed to do. And one of the other guys is supposed to fill into that spot. And that's supposed to be Acosta. And Acosta's late. Like every mm-hmm. time Acosta's late to fill into that spot. And then you look at if, if he's playing more as a six, six himself, he doesn't cover sideline and sideline. He stays in the middle for the most part. Now, in a build, he'll check out and fill in for one of those guys, but he doesn't do it defensively. So, you know, and he doesn't, to me, he doesn't add anything in terms of, you know, the build forward like Ricarte does where he's spinning out of pressure and feeling the game and reading the game and moving the ball, you know. I mean, I get it. The numbers say, Lucci says that too. I remember when we asked Lucci about Acosta, he says, oh, he does a whole bunch of stuff you know, that helps us be better. You know, I, I don't see it. You know, I, I see it in moments. I don't see it overall, though. It, it bothers me that he's not as good as he should be, given he's a DB. Okay, so uh, I want to I want to spin the, the spotlight onto Ricarte because now we're into multiple games where the team has not scored. In fact, out of this run of six, they've only scored the two goals, only one of which was a goal in the run of play. The other one was the penalty kick, the two goals against Columbus, shut out again against, uh, against Nashville, yet we've got this, you know, 
uh, Mauro Diaz times two kind of guy that everybody's all excited about. And I'm starting to wonder, should we be concerned that maybe Ricarte isn't as good as we thought he was? Or is this just a reflection of the larger roster as a whole? I think it's a reflection of the way the team is playing. And, and also, he's not as good as the insane hype of the first two games when he had that incredible goal and everybody lost their minds. I mean, he's not that good, but you know, he is better than anyone else they've had in quite a long time in that position. You know, I just want to Paxson, remind everybody. I just want to remind somebody else that scored a wonder goal on his debut. Brian yeah. Costa. Well, you know, I, I have yet to see Ricarte in my mind, play a bad game. And he's been one of the best two or three Dallas players. Every single game he's been on the field, in my opinion, you know, for what that's worth. Okay, well, I, I do think it's valuable to the listener to understand what it is you think he, what you see him doing that in your mind uh, would make him, or, or what in your mind says that he's putting in good performances. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just asking you to explain it from your, from your educated well, point of view. I, just, well, I was just talking about it. It's the ability to feel the pressure coming behind him, set up defenders to foul him, turn away from the defender in an unusual, unpredictable manner. Some, if I can't predict which way he's going, that's a positive. His touch, uh, when the ball comes in, his first touch sets the ball where he wants it to move away. Mm-hmm. Um, his vision into the into the final third, I think, is really good. Now, it's not connecting because the front line is too static. That's a different question. But he's doing – and he checks back with a willingness to play defense. So all of those things are phenomenal and make him a better player than, than almost anybody in the team right now. All right. Um, I wanted to ask the question because I saw MLS's Matt Doyle uh, reply to somebody's question to him about the club and and Doyle's contention that he thinks this club should be playing a three five two and getting uh, which would help eliminate the poor as he described it the poor wing play that has really haunted this team for a time and I'm wondering what your opinions about this are. Well. A three-five-two would be good um, to get if you want. If your goal was to get Jesus playing in a position that he is appropriate, um, the problem with playing that sort of game is in order to play a three-five-two, you have to take Barrios off the field, and Barrios is the best player that Dallas has had offensively for three years now. Uh, he's not what he was, but without Barrios, this team is junk offensively. We've seen what happens when he's missing. You know, in general, I'm not anti three five two. Other than that part, it's like, how do you fit Barrios into a three five two? I don't think you can. Okay, so Dan, is that slot him is is as the second striker, which means Jesus is gone. I you can. I just don't like Barrios as a second striker when he's inside. He doesn't do anything. You know, the only times I think I think he's at his best when he comes when he's from the wide position running at an angle into the middle. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to give him like a free roll to to roam side to side. I mean, he definitely played that in Colombia, but yeah, hasn't really done it a whole lot here. Dan, do you have any other differing opinions about what is ailing the club or or different formations they should be playing or what Lucci should be doing differently? Oh, wow. Um... I think sometimes there's a little bit too much too much rigidity. Um, you know, we've talked so much about breaking down the low block, and it is uh, it's kind of like the the First World War. The guys getting out of the trenches and walking very slowly towards the machine guns, and hoping that something's going to be different this time. 
Uh, what an analogy. <laughs> yeah, we, we go to that a lot in the UK. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, it's you've got this impenetrable wall and uh you know it's it's nice to to try and go at them and pass the ball around and recycle the ball and try and keep tidy possession, but you're not drawing them out, whereas you know, playing to the team's strength sometimes, using the counter attack a little bit more playing the high ball over the top it can work we don't we saw him playing the high ball over the top a little bit in the last game although it was just poor delivery more than anything and and poor poor runs off the wing um to to get to those balls but one thing i've really liked about lucha ball is is there's a plan b but oh sorry there's a new plan a but it's kind of forgetting the plan b that used to be plan a when uh when the whole point is is to be flexible. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't mind seeing the three five two get used some more. I mean, Lucci tried it at the beginning of the year. You know, I, but they I don't look know if I'm terrible in the three five two. Well, I know you'd have to play a bunch in it to make it work. Bit, what I really want is I want Lucci to not be married to um, his his system. I, I think you have to look at your. This is something Nashville does really well. They looked at their roster, they decided what they had, and they've tinkered with their lineup in order to try and maximize the players that they have. Whereas Lucci is trying to make the players he has play the way he wants to play. I think you have to go the other way. I think in the Major League Soccer, you're not Liverpool. You can't go buy somebody for $100 million. I think in Major League Soccer, you have to look at what I got, and you got to try and figure out how to make those guys work in in a system. You know, you can't be. I don't think you can be married to your system regardless of – who you have that's available. The minute you lost a couple of guys, you maybe needed to rethink things. I, I wouldn't yeah. hate a 3-5-2. Well, uh, with Brian Reynolds out there instead of Reggie, I think the 3-5-2 is uh, a more interesting option because I think he plays that role better than Reggie would have. Absolutely. One, two, I do think it does create the oddity that suddenly now, quote-unquote, your best, most dangerous player who of all people in the world is Michael Barrios, which I think says a lot about this team that Michael yeah. Barrios is your most dangerous player, uh, is what complicates that decision uh, to, to play that formation. My, my feeling is when you watch this team, and to address your point about you know trying to institute a system on a set of players, whether it fits or not, is, the, is that Lucci's system requires a set of accurate passes and a, a skill level that I'm not sure he has the player set for which then is what is causing the malaise and the slowness and the buildup of this because the players just aren't of that quality to play this system quickly and smart, one touch, two touch, you know, triangles get in and out of positions quickly. They're just, it's not that set of guys. Um, because that's what I see when I watch this team is that they just don't look confident playing the system quickly. They look confident playing it slowly, but it's so slow in the buildup, they give everybody all the time they need to set up their defense, and they're not good enough to break that down. I think you're dead on. Uh, and we've also heard multiple FC Dallas players mention that they're not moving it quick enough, that they don't play quick enough, they don't pass quick enough, they don't get forward quick enough. I mean, yeah, we're talking about... Problem. But, but here's that. the yeah, but here's the deal. The people that are saying they don't pass enough, they're not passing it fast enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, individually. They're speaking, of, they're speaking of themselves too. I mean, it's a collective, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. you're totally right. It's like, you can't be Barcelona without Barcelona's talent. Uh Tanner Tessman did not have a good game Boy. Tuesday night, did he? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that was a big regression. 
uh, some of that I think was because to me it looked like they put him a little more on an island. He he was a little more of a single six with two eights kind of look in front of him rather than the other way around. And I, I thought that was a tactical mistake because it, it that was part of why Ricarte was playing so deep. I, I didn't like that part, but my assumption is that that was reaction to thinking that um, uh, Nashville was going to play in a low block so you could afford to have just one six. I mean, if you have him and Acosta both as sort of six, eight hybrids and have some rotating flexibility there, that's harder to spot who's going to cover that guy coming out when that happens. I actually think that was a tactical error by Lucci. Uh, Dan, do you have any new impressions or opinions about Mr. Brisson? Um, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, came in initially and, you know, you didn't really notice Matt Hedge was missing too much, but boy, the lack of speed between him and uh, Reto Ziegler the other night, that was painful. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely shows that the, you know, the need for Nikosi Burgess and Callum Montgomery to come on as, uh, you know, and develop is, is definitely a, a big thing. Uh, you know, we saw Reto Ziegler getting absolutely roasted and he needed a guy alongside him who could take the physical load, uh, which Matt Hedges does. And and Brisson just couldn't do that. Um, just a, yeah. I want to ask you about that, but that's that incident in particular where uh, poor Ziegler got screwed into the ground. If Hedges is in the game, do you think that scenario plays out differently? Uh, yeah, I think Ziegler has uh, a little more confidence to attack the ball in that situation. Because he uh, thinks Hedges is – go ahead. Um, what were you going to say, Buzz? Yeah. Um, did you notice that when he got up, he looked at Hollingshead and made a pinch motion that he felt that Ryan was supposed to have been coming back and pinching from the outside in order to, con- to contain? Because the guy cut inside and then cut back outside, and that's where he felt – I think Reto felt had, uh, Hollingshead should have been there to pressure that. You know, so I, yeah, I think I, that, I, that was the reason why I didn't pick Hollingshead as my man of the match because I thought there were three occasions where he got caught up field and didn't get back well enough. Well, I, you know, I think if you go back and rewatch that particular incident, I was surprised at how lackadaisical uh, Ryan was in trying to help his teammate uh, who was clearly in a in a bad situation. He's just kind of, ha- I mean, this is very unlike Ryan. He almost like switched off in the moment and just kind of watched it happen. Brisson is kind of struggling behind to try to help cover in some way, but not in an effective way. But Ryan in particular looked like he had an opportunity to help out, and he just kind of bailed on it. Yeah, and I think Roger agreed with you <laughs> since he clearly made that motion of where's my help? Yeah. No, so well, it was uh, well taken. You know, I, I got to say, uh, uh, Gary Smith and Nashville uh, have quietly done a really nice job in putting that expand. I mean, if you're ever going to be an expansion season, I, obviously the downside of not being able to have the fans and all of that stuff is the bad side. But it's also given them a little bit of bandwidth and kind of uh, growing this slowly. And he's put an effective little side together that if they keep doing what they're doing. Uh, being one-off games in the playoff, who knows what that team is capable of pulling off? Yeah, they were smart in that they built a solid defensive foundation with predominantly domestic players, you know, and to give themselves a chance to be 
medium-ish in their first season, you know, and win some games. You remember from the very beginning of the season, Peter, we talked about how the fact that they weren't going to set records for losing games because they were going to be in a whole lot of ties and a whole lot of one-goal games. And so credit to them of having a plan and sticking with it. That They've done a really nice job finding guys to fit that defensive mentality. And then, a, and then they experimented with some lineups and they found what works. And it really, it really does work. I mean, there's nothing wrong with playing a low block encountering. I mean, it's boring, but I mean, Oscar used to do it. Well, it, you can absolutely, uh, I think somebody will go back and, and write a story about this season and the differences between how Miami and Nashville have chosen to build their rosters. And I think the standings and where they are, at least in this debut season, uh, uh, tells an interesting story. Now, now, Dan, I'm going to ask you and I to kind of like shuffle off to the side of the pod here and have a conversation between the two of us because I want to ask you a question that I think might hurt Buzz's feelings. Uh-oh. Um, Dan, are, are you, uh, have you fallen off the, the peppy hype train too? Uh, have you lost your choo-choo? There's, 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 there's not a lot of coal in the, uh, in the barrel at the front of the train now, is there? I I gotta I you know I know this may be sacrilege and I know Buzz is like my my BFF on this stuff but I'm <laughs> not sure I'm seeing anything I should be too excited about lately. Now I know he's not always playing in the best position, but I don't know. I'm I just ain't I ain't I ain't I ain't seeing the smoke come out of the stack lately. It's uh, it's definitely a, a tough season for him. You know, not having not having that many uh, minutes. You know, I mean last year. If it wasn't Academy, it was it was North Texas. If it was, and and later FC Dallas, and the kid just needs to play. He needs to develop somewhere somehow. It's hard to be it's it's hard to be harsh on a seventeen year old or critical of a seventeen year old, but we are somewhat guilty of uh, of getting uh, getting the hype excited to this point, aren't we, Buzz? You can join back. Oh, in okay. Can I get back in? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is that he's 17. So, you know, he's, I know you don't love the XG and I don't always love the XG, but uh, before this Nashville game, at least he still had the third highest XG on the team. Yeah, okay. And his but how two many goals has he played? Well, I know, but his two, it's at 2.1 and he has two goals. So he's doing exactly what he should be doing based on the minutes he's playing. His goals matches his XG. I'm not saying that the problem is for me is that he shouldn't be the second choice guy at 17. He should be like Dante. He should be getting garbage minutes at 17. Uh, FC Dallas has made a fundamental roster miscalculation and not replacing Cobra. Now, Lucci loves to trust his kids. He loves to talk about how he's got faith and he, if they play, that means he's happy with them, but they should have replaced Cobra because there is no other option than Pepe right now, which is, both a disservice to Pepe and a fundamental roster error because what happens if Pepe's not the right guy for a given situation? He's different in style than Hara. You know, they should have replaced Cobra. They needed to replace Cobra. The fact that Pepe's your only guy is a fundamental roster miscalculation. All right. Well, anything else about the game in particular that you guys wanted to discuss that I have forgotten to uh, throw out on the plate for you guys? I will say one thing. Uh, I didn't notice the Hollinshead uh, deal you mentioned on the third goal, and I just watched it back, and oh my god, he's walking. Yeah. Ball watching, yeah. and walking, and ball watching, and walking. and what, It's like watching that, that Southampton goal where Kurt Zuma had the really bad back pass and then just walked back and complained at the goalkeeper. Yeah, uh, yes, it is, it is an alarming 
uh, moment in <laughs> in the Brian Hollingshead performance on that evening because he's just it's almost like he's convinced that that Rito's going to win it and he doesn't need to help out. But to the, everybody else watching, it's like, hey, hey, Ryan, I think Rito, uh, Rito needs your help. Uh, could you hurry up and get back there and help him out a little bit, please? There's actually a really funny moment. Just as the pass is made, yeah, Rito's kind of watching the ball, and he looks over his shoulder thinking, okay, Holland said's going to be on that guy. I realize he isn't, and then does this like really dramatic spin around to try and get back in position. My, my general comment about all three goals, and, and I, I'm glad you have – uh, agree with me on the Holland said lack of effort. It was by then they had all given up, but all three goals, the defender is way too deep off of the player. It's it, they were about six feet off the striker, the shooter at that point. And then on the second one, Cervania midfield, same thing. It's like, you have to close that space down. If you give guys that much room, they're going to shoot those long shots. And that's when you get those deflections. So it's, there's some fundamental defensive miscues that happened in that game that directly led to – it's not just that they got beat on the counter. It's that they didn't close down Acosta on the first goal, Cervania and I think it's uh, Brisson on the second. I don't remember for sure. And for sure, Reto on the third. But that comes back to what Dan had mentioned earlier, that this game clearly exposed what we've been talking about with Ziegler. As, as, as good as he is and as smart as he is, the age is now a problem, and Brisson is also slow, which is a problem. So there's a fundamental uh, issue with the center backs on this team that's going to have to be addressed for 2021. Okay, so we are at the point where the club now has a remaining five games in place, three away. And by the way, Dallas has one of the worst away records in the league at 1-4-2. and two. Um, And they have three away. The next game is Saturday night in Salt Lake. And then they have two home games back-to-back. And as we've mentioned before, end the season – with two away games, one of which is against Nashville, mm. uh, and they end the season on November the 8th in Minnesota, and you know because it's 2020 and right after the election, there'll be a massive snowstorm uh, that they have to deal with. Gosh, I'm yeah. going to ask the question, at 24 points, which puts them, oh, good Lord, they're only uh, a win out of being uh, in the top four, uh, and they're also a loss away, not even qualifying for the playoffs. Is Dallas going to make the playoffs? I can't even believe I'm asking this question. Dan, you want to go first? Uh, they, they absolutely should make the playoffs. Uh, no, no, I'm not asking you should they may. I think we all agree they should. Will Dal- Based on what we've seen to date and knowing the rest of the schedule, will Dallas qualify for the playoffs? Uh... <laughs> Is he thinking? Is he, what, have we lost I don't him? know what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know what I'm, happened. I'm, I'm looking at the points per game because it's not going to be fine. it's not going to be points that decides it in the end. Oh, that's uh, true. I hadn't thought about it. That is so points we per have game. To factor in Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. That's right. You got Colorado. They Wait, have, by how, the way, they have six games left. Who does? The FC Dallas. You forgot the Minnesota canceled game, postponed game. Oh, that's not on their – that's right. There's that game. Okay, I have forgotten. So they do have six games left because that's not on the – they haven't scheduled that yet, have they? They haven't rescheduled. It's still listed a couple of games up on the schedule as postponed. Where are they going to put that thing? Because yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so – because there's no place to put it. They've got a Saturday game and then a Wednesday game and then a Saturday game and then a Wednesday game and then a Sunday game. There's no place for a third – for another game – well, that's yeah. why after it was postponed, they were gutted because they said it was a home game that we're not going to get back. 
Yeah, so it, they're almost certainly now just going to, especially because there's no, I don't know how Colorado's going to make up, how many games has Colorado three. missed? Oh, yeah, they so. got three to, three to miss, make up. Yeah, so this is going to be on a points on a points per game situation, and if that's the case, then they almost certainly have to make the playoffs, right? Yeah, I think they'll make it. Uh, you know, they'll be able to go relatively close to five hundred. You know, they're they got two home games out of that five. They'll get a point somewhere else. I think they'll be. I think they'll they, get in. They really should get at least a point at Real Salt Lake, and it's kind of you know for a long time it was a crappy place to go, but they've done pretty well there recently, so. Yeah, I mean, Real Salt Lake, Lake is, is Real Salt Lake, Lake beat Portland Wednesday night two one. Well, that well, you know, miracles happen every so often. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think they'll get in. That was their first win in like a month almost. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that yeah, organization's like, a mess right now. Yeah, 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 it is. Okay um let's see so anything all right so we covered all the stuff from nashville we've asked the big question are we really going to make the playoffs we've talked about what games are coming up we've done all that stuff anything else specific to the on-field part of the team that we would like to discuss before we move forward well i i I wanted to tell lucci's tanner testman story that's kind of an on the field thing oh yes what is lucci's tanner testman story well there was a monday conference call uh this week and somebody asked Lucy some question about Tanner and, and, you know, is he a surprise being playing? This is before the Nashville game. And, and the part that was interesting was uh, twofold in the sense that Lucy spelled out specifically, like when they decided to sign Tessman and that kind of thing. And what he said was that coming out of last year's uh, North Texas season and the Academy season, when I thought Tanner was ready to be signed, that the team did not, they thought he was a guy, um, let's compare him to Kevin Bonilla, maybe a guy they were going to let go to college for a year or two and then sort of revisit like a brand, Brandon Cervania did and like Reggie did going for a year, maybe two years, that kind of thing. Lucy specifically says that. And then they get into spring training and they had a couple of inter- uh, injuries and so they needed a body for training. So they pulled Tanner into training just to be a body. And Lucci said that his play in that in those sessions, that he stepped up to the occasion, rose to the occasion, and that his play in those sessions won him a homegrown contract, basically over like a three-week window. They were not going to sign him. It was out. And then all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, we got to sign this kid. And so they signed him really quick. So like that level of detail that like, and, and then because Acosta's injury lingered on, he ends up starting opening day. So that level of detail that, they didn't weren't going to sign him at all. They were going to just let him go to Clemson until like a couple of weeks before the season. They're like, "Holy crap, we can't let this kid leave," and they signed him. So I, I think that's an interesting story. All right, uh, and I don't mean to be the cynic here, but how much of the fact that they were uh, potentially getting ready to lose this kid to an NFL kicking career uh, played into that? Do you think? Not that much because we've we were talking about the Clemson stuff for. Uh, you know, over the past year, you know, he had gone to those camps and fall football season was, you know, had, had come and gone and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that, that funness, so that, that Clemson back and forth was already there. That's what's so fascinating about the story is that you're literally talking about mid February when they, when it, when they had him in first team training and they thought, boy, this kid is a baller. Cause Lucy even said like, 
with the Academy in North Texas, he just looked okay. That he was like, I mean, he was good, but he wasn't like they were like, oh my God, we got to sign him. It wasn't until he came into first team training and started kicking the crap out of people that they were like, holy crap, we got to sign this kid. Which is amazing to me on one level because I don't know how you could watch him play for the Academy and dominate those tournaments where he's MVP and not think he was ready to be signed. But they didn't and, and they were willing to wait and then all of a sudden they weren't, which is kind of interesting, I think. Quick question. So when you say they... We're talking Marco and Andre. I assume he, he wasn't that specific, but I assume you're talking about a collective Lucci, Andre, Marco, you know, uh, Lucci's coaching staff, whatever. That the collective organization being they weren't ready to sign Tanner, and until he was, dominated was, training. Was Zanata here at that point yet? Yeah. I can't recall the timing. Uh, I think his announcement was in December sometime. Okay. Yeah, it was after Brasson was signed and, and before any of the other signings, basically. All right. So for any pod listener who has been disappointed in the amount of uh, Dan Crook in this particular episode, fear not, because I think you're about to get a, your, your dose of it. Because the other crazy, weird, out of the blue, caught everybody off guard announcement that we got from FC Dallas this week was the announcement that once again, the club is relocating the supporters groups and the beer garden is being closed. The one unusual and charming feature of the atmosphere at F at Toyota stadium is kaput. Uh, Dan, I'm hoping you can provide some color and insight as to why that is the case. No, not really. <laughs> Excellent. Um, uh, all right. Now tell us what really what's going on. Okay. So, uh, this is uh, another one of those little COVID knock-ons. Uh, for one, FC Dallas is absolutely awful at fan engagement and uh, handling the supporters groups. But the big deciding factor is that the uh, the players' union negotiated in the uh, revised CBA for coming back after COVID that field seating is no longer a thing. Uh, and, you know, half to two-thirds of the beer garden is field seating. So suddenly they had the option of, well, making the temporary bleachers that are already falling apart taller. Probably what do you mean they're, fall they're falling apart? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, those things are dangerous as hell. Um, like, nobody... You, you can't go in there without cutting yourself or catching yourself on something... Uh, all the ropes that are used on TFOs, uh, when they come down, fans will take them and try and tie up loose bits of the of the bleachers. It's <laughs> wow. it's disgraceful. Um, <laughs> no actually, idea. <laughs> so the Dallas Beer Guardians actually um, was were asking for a, a safety a safety certificate on the bleachers for a couple of years, and the team just kept ignoring it. Uh, I, I walked down there one night. I was uh, when I was. When I was designing the TFOs, we were doing the uh, the opening day one. So we walked down at night before the first game of the season, and the guys there putting the bleachers back together. And I just watched this guy ripping random pieces of bent metal off and just throwing them away. And then he puts a sheet of metal over the whole thing so you can't see it. I was like, that's scary. <laughs> Add another ten rows on that, and you're screwed. Yeah, I've seen uh, a lot of I've seen a lot of wear and tear around the stadium, and wonder why 
things that seem so easily fixed or addressed or improved don't I like I, I, I don't mean to run off course, but I am never uh, I, it never ceases to amaze me that the team logo that is painted or a sticker on the glass doors into the office is all faded. It's kind of pink and light blue. And I think you guys walk past that every day. Why haven't somebody put a new sticker or repainted that? It's just, it's a detail that drives me nuts. So to the hear that, funny that one, the, s- the, the funny one is you notice how they put those uh, like vinyl banners around the field on that blue wall. Yeah. They did it because the concrete's broken. So the rebar's exposed. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah, some chunks on the east side. When you walk past it, it's like sticking out like six inches. Well, you know, when they had to close the new Allen High School Stadium, the, you know, billion dollar high school football stadium because the, the foundation had shifted, I, it, like literally the week after they did that, I was walking through Toyota Stadium over by the, uh, where you come down by the club to walk to the seats. There was huge, like there was a gap. You literally could stick your hand down in the crack uh, between the stairs and the concrete at one point. And if a little kid, because foot could go in there, they finally filled it in with some sort of caulking and stuff, and it's still not very pretty. But they've had their own set of foundation issues. The stadium is 10 or 12 years old, and it's starting to show its age, definitely. If you want a life-altering moment, go smell the old elevator on the north end. Oh, I've heard about that. The one that the players used to have to go up and down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard really awful stories about that. Yeah, Yeah. it is the foulest thing I've ever smelled in my entire life. And it's because... And it's There's because it's dug out into the shop. ground, and it's it's all the waste and groundwater that's just kind of fallen underneath the elevator. Is yeah, that what every, it is? everything you can imagine, probably including a certain amount of sewage that's collected in the bottom of the elevator, and there's no way to get it out. So basically, oh. it just sits in there, and it's <laughs> you can smell the whole north end of the building smells like it. It's just and when the door, if they ever open those doors, it's like getting punched in the face. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to de- derail <laughs> us off the whole beer garden thing. Please, Dan, uh, continue. Funny story about that. I drove past the sewage treatment place recently, and and suddenly I went, "Ah, oh, smells like the old locker rooms that I've seen." <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't figure out why, but now you mention it, that's yeah. why. Um, yeah. So uh, there was part of that. Fans had also been asking for uh, safe standing, like they have in Orlando or or Dortmund or or any of those places. And a lot of this, Orlando is one of them. It can get like. It can just get put away. It can get kind of folded up and moved to the side. FC Dallas chose to state that that did not exist. Um, <laughs> the, the the big thing was preserving the the north end as the stage for concerts, right? Because that's that's revenue, and we have to remember FC Dallas does not own the stadium, so they can't make significant changes. Um, but now. Uh, now with the changes, they're moving the fans to uh, 112 and 113, which was previously the away section for fans. It's the it's the wedge in the northeast corner, so it's southeast. the most sorry southeast, right? So it's the most hidden away part from the cameras, which kind of sucks. Uh, it's the only real shaded part of the stadium, which some of the fans really enjoy. Um, El Matador members absolutely love it, but they've been shifted around several different places. Dallas Beer Guardian members hate it because they've been in the Beer Garden since 2011. Um, You know, it it does leave them away from any of the pulleys for TIFO, which kind of leaves a few questions unanswered. They are supposedly going to get dedicated beer 
the, the little Budweiser thing that's in the beer garden currently brought around towards them. Um, the prices are going to be the same, the 360 a year. Uh, they will have the safe standing. That's now been promised, which is great because it means that they're that whole new section of blue seating, which was put in what two years ago, is going to get ripped out. Um, so they're going to wait. They're going to convert sections twelve, one twelve, and one thirteen into safe standing. Yes. Yet they can't put a. They can't construct some sort of safe standing around and on the stage. That seems re- weird. I've always thought somebody could construct some sort of removable oh, yeah. safe standing that would yeah, work perfect with that stage. Away. Yeah, uh, but seems... every time every time the supporters groups took it to FC Dallas, they kept they would ignore it or say it didn't exist, and other clubs have it, which was weird. But now they're going to be in this new section. They will have like the permanently in place safe standing. Um, the restriction will be reduced. The beer garden was nine hundred and seventy five seat uh, well spots, and the new one is somewhere in the region of four hundred and fifty. Holy cow, that's a significant loss. But the difference is um, the problem with the beer garden and, and its kind of ineffectiveness at times was that it was a general area. It was the area with the cheapest beer. It was the area that with the cheapest tickets. So a lot of people would just go down there. They wouldn't. They had no interest in participating in supporting FC Dallas or, or really doing anything. So when the two supporters groups are chanting, there's this whole group in the middle that's not doing anything. Ah, okay. Um, by going into for, for one in the middle of in the middle of the fans, um, it it should be more engaging to the wider support, um, and it should create a lot more noise with the the roof on the south end, you know, bouncing that sound back and and just kind of amplifying out more from a concentrated group in the corner. It's it's still weird because you know. It's it's great that it's like a supporter specific section, and they now have the supporters groups have control over it. But it's really kind of it's just strange in soccer. You know, teams have stadiums will have a section where if fans want to be a family and not do anything, they can go. They'll have another section where if you want to be a hardcore fan and you want to sing and shout and jump and all those fun things. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a group, you can just go there and do it. Now it's it's a little bit counterintuitive, but again, FC Dallas does not have any clue on engaging fans or any of that, that malarkey. So we'll see how it plays out, but it should be a little better. We'll just, uh, we'll see. All right, so the Dan Crook reaction to this is positive? It's mixed. Well, what are they gonna? What? But, but okay. But uh, in terms of trying to, and maybe they've because I saw the ticket sales. They're not even selling tickets on the east side of the stadium next season. At least at this point, they're not. Um, everything that's for sale is on the west side and on the south side. Yeah, and so the same I'm, thing they did last year. Uh, oh, because they're not because the rest of that is all game day tickets and things that are already season tickets sold. Well, they're also the cheapest tickets in the stadium, so they released them last. Single game oh, tickets, not season. Okay, so I, I I read that as they were making a collective decision to only sell season tickets and tickets period on the west and south side because they assume they're not going to be allowed to go back to 100% potential capacity in 2021. 
No, you're telling me is... it's a this is because they're just trying to sell the most expensive seats up front. Yeah, this is kind of the puzzle gate thing from a few years ago. They keep doing it every <laughs> year where the East Stand is the last part to get sold. Okay. All right. Well, I was giving them uh look at me but for giving speaking, them the benefit of the doubt. Let me real quick though. What are the they going to What are they going No, no, hold on a sec. What are they going to do with the stage? Are we just going to look at an empty concert yes. stage game in and game out? Yes. Yeah. Probably be some banners or something on it, advertising. That's about it. That's going to look so weird. Maybe they'll bring the inflatables back. Oh, wow. Okay. That, I'm totally at a loss to explain. I, there has to be a better explanation than we're just going to leave an age behind the North Goal. It seems like a complete waste, but okay. I mean, that's um, what we're seeing now, so... Well, yeah, but everybody understands it because there's a pandemic going on. But when we're back to, you know, at some point, hopefully, fingers crossed, wishful thinking, prayers at night, back to an opportunity to sell out a stadium. Now, the, now doesn't, the, doesn't that also mean that the overall uh, max attendance also drops too? No, uh, that was never counted as part of the attendance. Oh, it wasn't. Okay, because so it's still attending. All right. And sorry, Dan, I didn't mean to cut you off. What about the east side you wanted to bring up? Oh, I was, personally, and this has been a thing I've always, I've said for for several years. Um, I would put the supporters groups on the east side. In Just, the sun? Yeah, well, you know that's one thing. But if you play games at eight o'clock, the sun isn't an issue. Well, you know why they don't do that. Well, they can do it. They <laughs> well, they're not going to because they got to sell more pizza, man. But um, you know, then you have. Well, one, you have a number of people in the camera view, and two, you have your. Uh, you have your most passionate fans easily on the camera view. You have the TFO easily on the camera view. It's a, it's a much better shot than, oh, let's get the guy with the camera on his shoulder to run over to the corner and then pan to that. It'd make, it'd make Buzz's life easier. Oh, I don't work well, FC Dallas games. You're crazy. Uh, they won't yeah, hire me. I, 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 and I'm going to guess that based on everything I read, the announcement that the team put out was caught everybody off guard. Nobody was anticipating them doing this in advance, and it was just kind of a shock to everybody, the supporters groups, the fans, the ticket, season ticket holders, etc. If you knew, you knew. Um, the discussions were happening for a couple of months. Um, oh, I, that was my biggest criticism. It was like, if you unless you got a season ticket email, there was no like rollout or announcement of this. Oh my god! Like make a moment out of it, right? Hey, we're gonna we're doing right by the supporters. Let's do a thing. It was so, just like, and everybody got different emails and different information. It was just a cluster. It is. It sucks for people who have the tickets there now because they have to probably be moved. Um, the supporters groups. The supporters groups have been in discussions. It was down for the to the supporters groups to communicate that with their memberships. Um, El Matador did Dallas Bear Guardians didn't that's choices so just just to make sure uh, I'm understanding this correctly the, the, the reason by the club to close the beer garden is because that's the part I still don't get because they think they, they're doing the supporters groups a favor by moving them to this new location or because the beer garden was more of a hassle than it was worth that's the part I'm still confused by Probably more a hassle than it's worth, and because of the 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 CBA rule about no on field seats. Yeah, you, you instantly take away five hundred five plus hundred of your nine hundred seventy five spots, and you have to find somewhere new for those. But is that a rule that's uh, like here permanently, whether we have COVID or not, or is that just a COVID protection request uh, by the players? 
that's at least for next year. If, if FC mm. Dallas are actually going to spend money, I would say that's for the life of the CBA. Yeah, you can expect to see those blue drapes on the east side, you know, like 10 rows up, still in place. Man. That's what that's about. You know what they should do? Well, they should that, put... that's not entirely about that. Um, they don't have to have it that high. They just chose to have it there so no. they could put bigger sponsors there, and then they stupidly put the sponsors in the worst part of the the top so that the camera doesn't even pick it up. It doesn't have to be that high, but that's why they're there. The slow, yeah, yeah. yeah. FC Dallas is actually kind of lucky in that they don't have, like a lot of stadiums, where the seating goes down to the field. Where theirs has the wall, they can get away with, with a little bit more than most places. <sighs> All right, well, maybe they'll put a giant video wall back there and show kick-ass hypnotic videos and uh, stuff. I'm hoping for it. three of those 50-foot stick figure fan guys that wiggle their arms in the wind. <laughs> I want three giant ones of those behind the goal. <laughs> That's Toyota, what I'm hoping for. Like actually dressed as Toyota salesman. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. FC Dallas colors with their wiggling arms, distracting players that are shooting. That's what I want. Yeah, oh, that is such FCB. a weird decision. You know, maybe it's they'll funny. bring back that big bull inflatable. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, I, my favorite was uh, Dustin Christman's suggestion that he just assumes they're going to put the inflatable bounce house down there for the kids on the stage. <laughs> a lot so of people have said have... that's probably what's going to happen. Kids yeah. own, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what it was before the beer garden, right? I don't think it was that obviously like a playground, like like in the uh, you remember the uh, the bubble for the women's league. They had that playground off in the corner, and everybody was wanting the whoever to score a goal to run over and slide down the slide. Now that would be cool if they put a playground back there, and if you score a goal, you got to run up there and slide down a slide back onto the field. That would be kind of cool. That is, there's an idea. Let's Please use having that your bull mascot brand leather. <laughs> yes. Um. My God. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Buzz was talking about the communication of all of this and how weird it is. And while and, and, and so that made me think about this week, while I fully understand the one and only real purpose of all of this is to make everybody forget about how the city got its team in the most nefarious way to begin with. All of the Austin FC video work that they've been putting out in the last week or so, I'm so impressed by and at the same time frustrated by i don't know if you guys have seen any of this oh yeah Um, it's really 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 good and again i completely uh am aware of the fact (laughs) that the origins of this club are super sketchy and suspect to begin with and this is just all propaganda to make everybody forget about that but man it's really good shit yeah there's no question that they're terrific at marketing uh just like inter uh, miami was right until they picked their jerseys hopefully Austin will be better than that. Um, you know, the one thing I would say about the ownership is that I think all ownership level stuff is often really sketchy. We just don't often hear about it. Uh, but their marketing is absolutely killer. Their branding is killer. I mean, everything they're doing is fantastic. even like the the stuff of their stadium where they're putting the green neon lights up the side of it. Oh, Verde, sorry, Verde. I mean, you know, <laughs> the whole thing is phenomenal, and I'm and I'm jealous as hell and bitter. You can probably hear that in my voice. Well, I, just I, think I, of it this way: FC Dallas doesn't have a stick of broccoli for a logo. Well, that's that's a good point. Well, but, as a Texan, I actually think that logo is amazing. 
I think it's a great logo. And I, I know yeah. Live Oak Trees are a big deal in Austin. I think it's a fantastic logo. And as somebody that's lived here my entire life, I totally get it and saw yeah. it as a Live Oak Tree and think it's a good quality logo too. But I can see why people think it's a stick of broccoli because you're not from here and I totally get it. But I mean, we're all me, going to make fun of them, sure, but it's a well, great logo. But here's, but we all recognize what is totally going to happen. In 2021, when they start and everything's back to normal, again, fingers crossed, pairs answered and all of that stuff, uh, we are going to see something very unusual for Major League Soccer in Texas. And I'm including both Dallas and Houston in this as well, which is we're going to see a really awesome, very European-like atmosphere and a really cool situation in Austin, at least initially. And I'm just wondering if anybody in Dallas and Houston is going to get the message. I, I doubt they will get the message, but it's going to look like LAFC or FC Cincinnati. So it's going to look like, I think. I'm with you. Hmm. I wonder. I, gonna... wonder, I wonder if Houston is starting to get it though. I mean, they're going to try to change their logo and try some different things. We'll see if Not they actually with that stupid logo up. that I saw. Oh my gosh, what a disappointment! Oh, that Home Depot yeah. contractor service logo. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not, so that execution is not great so far, but I'm sure James Harden understands marketing and at least they're admitting that they have done a poor job. So perhaps, you know, first sector recovery is a recognition, right? Admitting you have a problem. So maybe we'll, we'll see what them do some things. The problem is James Harden isn't, isn't really, doesn't really have a say as a minority owner. Um, no, but I mean. Th- their well, main owners are the problem. Sure. But you know, like I said, they've admitted they have an issue, so maybe we'll see them do some better things. Well, uh, it's beyond the branding. Uh, that uh, Branding is obviously a big part of it, but how you convert that into, into ticket sales is a completely different trick. And so yes. far, it appears that Austin is kicking everybody else's ass at it. That is both Houston and Dallas. Um, uh, for sure. All right. Uh, North Texas got a big win the other night, Buzz. They uh, did what they needed to do, but they still need a, they need a, what another win and some help to make sure they make the final. Yeah, they have to win on Saturday. Um, by the way, big game player Arturo Rodriguez draws the PK and scores the goal. You remember he won the scored the game winning goal last year in the championship, and he scored the game winning goal in the 2017 Dallas Cup Supergroup win. Guy's a big game player, but um, they got to win Saturday, and they got to have. Uh, Richmond lose and they have to have Omaha lose or tie and then and if they win they'll get in uh, and that game is when it's Saturday night uh, I believe it's at seven so uh, you know big game exciting game biggest game of the year so come on out and watch it you know you can watch most of it before FC Dallas kicks off and just maybe go home to your TiVo and then start up the FC Dallas Okay. And last on the notes of things that you guys wanted to talk about, uh, I'm just going to let you guys do this because I don't care. Something about the supporter shield is going on. Oh, yeah. Dan, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. I'm interested to hear. Okay. Um, Here's my take. Number one, if you think Dallas is bad at communication, you should see the supporter shield guys, how bad they are at communication. All right. So here's the thing. Shocker, a volunteer yeah. organization. <laughs> right. They're yeah, horrible. Soccer fans. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. Uh, I, I love the Supporter Shield because I love the history and the organic nature of it. Now, I 100% agree with you, Peter, that because you're playing an unbalanced schedule, that it lacks some of the qualities of a real you know, regular season table winning like we have in a lot of other countries, right? So I recognize the flaws in it in terms of MLS Cup being the big thing and we play an unbalanced schedule. So right out of the gate, it's not quite the same as a regular season championship. We can all admit that. But 
that once you recognize that it has a flaw from the get-go and you recognize the fact that every major league soccer season has a different number of games. It's been 30, it's been 32, it's been 34. There was a season where it was 26 in 2001. The fact that you have less games this season is a garbage reason to not award it. It already changes all the time. You already have an imbalanced schedule. There is going to be a determined regular season winner by whatever method the league eventually decides points per game. It's probably going to be whoever that is, is the supporter shield winner, whether you think they are or not at this point, it's an established thing that if you win the regular season, you need to, then you are the regular season champion. You are the supporter shield champion. Now, if they don't want to show up with the trophy to me, that doesn't matter. The shield winner, even if you don't show up with it, is still the shield winner, right? There should be no asterisk. It is what it is. You play the schedule you're given, and if you win it, you win it. And then the last point I want to make is by not being willing to show up and, do, and live up to your end of the responsibility, regardless of the circumstances, you're saying that you're not up for dealing with this situation. You're not up for the situation. Put on your big boy pants live up to your responsibility or give the stupid thing to the league and let them deal with it because they're prepared and capable of dealing with it. Okay. Hold That's on a my second. Take. Okay. I, I got your take, but I still don't understand what happened. You didn't, the, you didn't tell us what happened. Well, I assumed everyone would know what happened was the supporter shield. Uh, I don't know what it is. Dan is it a committee has put out an announcement that they were not going to award the supporter shield this year. And their language had a whole bunch of, garbage and stuff in it something about fans not being in the stadium and something about the number of games played and something about fans not being able to be involved something about the shield going on a tour next year somehow that played into it a whole bunch of junk basically said that they weren't going to show up and award it and so toronto fc rightly and greg vanny rightly are pissed their players are pissed i don't blame them so that's what happened. And then, of course, since they got immediately got scorched across all levels of social media, they then backtracked and said that they're, oh, well, we've got some feedback and we're reevaluating and they haven't come out with a new announcement yet. They come out with a big statement that said we screwed up and then they tried to blame Major League Soccer somehow. I'm not sure how that worked. It was a well, 10 paragraph. <laughs> well, it was a 10 paragraph. We screwed up without saying what they're going to do or what the, how they screwed up or it's a lot of finger pointing. The bottom line is. If you're not going to show up with the damn trophy, it doesn't matter because it's going to be awarded anyway. And if you can't be bothered to show up for it, then just give it to somebody who will take care of it. That's my take. Now, Dan, when I saw when all the Jim Jam was going back on social media, I thought and if I read it incorrectly or interpreted it wrong, I apologize. But I kind of got the sense that you were supportive of their decision or you understood why they had made the decision they had initially made. Did I read that wrong? No, no, you're right. I, I, I get why they wouldn't award it. Um you know, for for one, Major League Soccer decides how the first seat overall seat is is placed. Uh, we have what three weeks left of the season, and Major League Soccer has not decided how the first seed will be placed. So, meaning total points or points per game, right? That's it, yeah. the decision that's yet to be made. Okay. So, was on, on that page. level, the representative from LAFC, who ordinarily would have to take the shield to present it on on the field to the representative from the Toronto or whoever else supporters group to then give it to the team to then get get it back from the team because teams do not keep it it's not a possession of major league soccer or its teams that is 
logistically a challenge and particularly when we're in a particularly when we're in covid it's an issue particularly when getting in and out of canada for a potential as the the top team currently getting in and out of canada from los angeles would be an issue um it's not going to be shipped uh, it it has to be it has to be given in person it has to be taken in person that is in the uh other bylaws. than being uh it's not in the bylaws it's actually in the the insurance policy Oh wow! Okay. Um, now you have to remember, this is something that was bought by fans. It is kept. It is financed by supporters groups. It is financed by selling merchandise of the the shield's appearance. Um, so yeah, you know, on the fact of the unbalanced schedule, you know, MLS love to uh, love to keep that schedule nice and unbalanced because it it kind of invalidates it as a trophy. Uh, this season, kind of ridiculous. Top four teams are all from the from the Eastern Conference. Where, let's be honest, Toronto have had a cakewalk of a schedule. They've played Montreal's under twelve girls team five times. They've played <laughs> Philadelphia Special Olympics team a couple of times. You know, um, what we can say about the Supporter Shield winner is. More often than not, they are the best team in the league. Uh, you can look back to FC Dallas 2015 and say, okay, well, the Red Bulls had an easier schedule. On a goal difference tiebreaker, you can kind of say, all right, maybe they, maybe the best team didn't win it, but Christ, it was close. Um, I can't look at MLS right now and say who the best team are. I can see a lot of teams who've played crappy schedules, who've played really difficult schedules. Uh, you know, if FC Dallas had to play the West, the West Coast teams, we were talking about will FC Dallas make the playoffs. The answer then would be no, hell no. <laughs> just to kind of point, I just want to point out something that Dan just, just said about you can't tell him who's really good. The longest current winning, would anybody like to guess who and how long the longest current winning streak is in Major League Soccer? I have no idea, except that at one point Toronto had won like had gone like 19 or 20 games without losing. But other than that, I don't know. No, the current leader in the clubhouse on winning streaks is at two, and that club is Nashville. <laughs> sure. Wow. Well, that, that's my general point about the, the flawed uh, unbalanced schedule is already flawed and unbalanced. This year is just more flawed and unbalanced. So it's not like... It's not like it's a black and white issue. It's just more worse, right? So it's like that, to me, that's an invalid excuse. I mean, MLS is going to declare a winner of the regular season. There's going to be a Supporter Shield winner, whether the fans like it or not. That's right. my point. It's like, it's happening. You can either show up or not. And look, and I get that it's a fan transported thing or whatever. Figure out a way with Major League Soccer to get the damn thing up there and get it awarded. It's not that hard. They'll give it back to you. It's not like they're going to steal it. Uh, no. Actually, they did once before. That's why the trophy isn't the original trophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was under Doug Logan, wasn't it? That was you know, now. there's like there's like some super soccer nerd that lives in his parents' basement that has yeah. the the original shield hanging on a wall in like somewhere outside of I don't know Boston or something like. Well, that. Well, two funny stories about that. Someone's got the World Cup trophy that got stolen somewhere. That's true. Yeah. And then I actually had the original for a while. I had the original uh, 1997 U.S. Open Cup trophy that FC Dallas got because they broke it, and I took the broken pieces. But it since got broken more by my stupid landlord, so I threw it away. But oh, 
You threw <laughs> I, away well, a U.S. Open cup? Well, no, it's it was it's a glass chalice that they you don't get to keep the real one. They gave oh. Devsy Dallas this glass chalice that was really nice, and then somebody at one of their things knocked it over and it split in two pieces. And I took the two pieces, and I had the biggest one on my mantle, and one of the repair guys was fixing something in my apartment and knocked it off and shattered it into like a hundred little pieces. So at that uh-huh. point I threw it away. I made him pay me a bunch of money for it. I told him it was worth $20,000. The FC oh. Dallas front office once it's stole neat. the brimstone cup as well. Did they really? Yeah. All right. So maybe they won't give it back. <laughs> maybe that's maybe a bad plan. Hey, oh, I, so I, no I, big deal then. Just don't, 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 don't show up with it. You know, just Toronto has won it. That's fine. Yeah, because I should say, in all fairness, the, the Nashville stat is interesting. Toronto is on a one, two, three, four, five, six, nine-game win, uh, uh, undefeated streak with a, uh, seven wins and two draws. So um, maybe they are the best team, at least in terms of form right now. But yeah. uh, my point made about winning. No, I, so I think it's go. a fair point. Uh, you know, uh, other than maybe there's some problems with actually showing up with the actual trophy, it's like it doesn't matter. There's going to be a Supporters Shield champion. Someone's going to get into the CONCACAF whatever's, you know. It doesn't... Let's all agree either way. It's been handled spectacularly badly. There's, well, that's the no communication question. has been an absolute joke. The, the, the backtracking's come in the, you know, um, what I've heard is that they let all the supporters groups know what was happening. But not in a really effective way. They did it on like a Slack channel. And if you're, you know, if for anyone that uses Slack, what a crappy form of communication that is because you don't get any notifications unless it's something that's at you. Um, so, you know, obviously everyone was blindsided by it, um, even though they were technically informed. And now they're, they're talking about this long delay because they're, they've got groups that are completely unresponsive that they're now having to await a response from to on you know what what should happen uh it's kind of interesting that well that's easily solved you set a date we need a response from you by this date and if you don't reply then we're just not going to count you i mean oh yeah come on, let's all be adults here that's how this stuff works in the real world right yeah well, i mean this, what is this a bunch of 16 year olds doing this yes well oh, it's all okay it's all support it's supporters group volunteers so yeah <sighs> Come on, Peter. We've both lived that life. Well, hey, I was once a part of the original Inferno and left for I'm many saying. of those reasons. We've, as much as I love all those part people. Of that life. Yes. Um, uh, all right. Well, uh, there you go. There's the story. Dallas plays again Saturday night against. Um, oh crap! I've totally forgotten now. Real oh, Salt Lake. Oh, Real Salt Lake. Thank you. They got to travel same day travel. You know, the one thing that we haven't. I don't think we've focused enough about. But I did want to say something. This this playoff is going to be completely nuts because I can't figure out in my head if the fact that they're all one-off playoff games, you know, uh, you, uh, you you win and you you move on, lose and you're out, is an advantage to the team visiting, or the fact that the that you know the the travel part of this for the away uh, the visiting team is really a complication that gives an advantage to the home team, unlike anything we've had in the playoffs before. Well, I think the one game thing actually gives an advantage to FC Dallas because there's this crazy stat about um, their record against good teams versus bad teams, and they're way, way better against good teams. So if you're going to get a one-off against FC Dallas in the playoffs, that's a scary one-off for anybody that's a good team if they get in, of course. But here's the problem with that stat, Buzz. Almost all of those wins came against good teams 
um, with the exception of Kansas City, at home. I mean, their road record oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. terrible. No, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's why Lucci made such a priority to get that home game, which he's not going to. But, you know, it, it definitely hurts on the road. But, you know, you can look at the Seattle game last year, which is obviously a completely different team at this point. And you never know what you're going to get when you face FC Dallas, even on the road. I mean, they've, they've fought and clawed some guys on the road a little bit. You, you know, I can think of the Minnesota game, for example, and a couple of those sporting games. So, um, you know, I, I think you're right that it's definitely going to lean heavy for the advantage for the home team, I think. Even with nobody in the stands, I think it's an advantage. And we don't know if they've uh, clarified for the playoffs if travel is consistent, is the same for playoffs as it is regular season, in and out, same day, correct? Do we know that yet? Uh, I don't know that. It's possible that I missed some subtext somewhere in some announcement, but I, I don't know. I... Dan, do you know? No. Uh, I know there's, there's definitely a gray area in it because uh, when they had that earlier game with Kansas City, they flew in the day before. Oh, so, okay. Who knows? Yeah, the ability to fly in the day before and get some time on the ground before having to play, I think, would be a significant uh, difference maker for teams, uh, you know, that are having to play I mean, away in the playoffs. Even That's when something. they fly on the day of, they still go to a hotel. So it's like it wouldn't be, you know, the, the difference of flying the day before is just a question of time on the road, I suppose. I mean, if you isolate, you isolate. It shouldn't be a problem. Okay, well, um, again, I uh, my big takeaway from this week was I still was surprised by the reaction to the loss against Nashville. I just hope we've answered questions for everybody. Um, uh, I don't know. I just I, the, the the record is what they is. They're six five and six. It's pretty well, much what fa- we all thought, right? Fa- fans get emotional. I understand it. We try and be very analytical. You know, it, that's a bad loss. I mean, there's no question that's one of the worst losses of the year. So it's not surprising. I don't think that fans have an emotional reaction. That's that's what people that are fanatics do. You know, and I try and I try very hard to. I had an emotional reaction because I'm I, I like this team. I support this team. You know, this is how I choose to support it. Is this thing? So I have an emotional reaction, and then I try and turn that off. And be analytical, you know. So it's it's what we do is to be analytical. Okay. Anything else we need to touch on before we uh, shut up shop? Mm, I will take that as a no. I think that's Buzz? everything. Patreon.com slash third degree. All right. I was going to ask you to pitch your wares, <laughs> sir. That's the pitch. Is, uh, you know, if you like what we do, support us. Help us out. That'd be great. All right. Dan, do you have anything to pitch? Uh, just, uh, just a question of, uh, going back to the start of the episode, how many E's have we used? (laughs) I think we're into the 30,000s at this point. There's one E in Pappy Check. Just one. Okay. All right. Okay. Well then, uh, I feel like now we're just wasting everybody's time. Dan, thank you very much for your insight today. You're awesome in every way. All right. And, uh, Buzz, thank you, sir. Uh, thank you for hurting the cats today. Oh, that's what I do. That's the only thing I'm at good at. And uh, FC Dallas Curious fans, thank you. We will speak to you next week on maybe another more better mooted edition of Third Degree, the podcast. More better mooted. Yeah. Never get. They didn't get. They didn't get. Never